it's for Elijah, um, but it's the beginning of Elisha's uh, many years of ministry. You can be encouraged that we're actually not going to be working uh, through Elisha, we're finishing that, we're moving on to something else in the coming weeks. So this is the end of our series as we've been looking through Kings, looking at uh, what, what happened, look at the relevance for us today, seeing that we're, Eli- we're an Elijah and an Elisha people as uh, God uh, works amongst us. So we're going to read some verses from uh, 2 Kings chapter 2 and we're going to start at verse 7 through to verse 14. We're going to read seven or eight verses and they'll come up on the screen behind me. Uh, this morning's talk is entitled From Dreams to Reality. From Dreams to Reality. So let's read uh, these verses. Fifty men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. He picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he'd struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left and he crossed over. Have you ever noticed that there are some places that you associate with certain events where history just seems to repeat itself? If you're an England football fan, it's normally the World Cup semi-finals and it's normally a penalty shootout and you know what's going to happen. History just seems to repeat itself. For me, it's, it was always the dentist. When I used to go to the dentist, my sister would go in the dentist would say, you've got lovely teeth and uh, say, oh, off you go, and I'd get into the chair, and he'd go, oh dear, occlusion, right, left, upper, whatever, and he'd say, mm, yeah, you've got a couple of fillings. Every time I went to the dentist, and I got to dread the dentist, even now, whenever I go to the dentist, I always, and that will tell you this, I always end up having a filling. So much so that uh, when I actually die, I'm actually not leaving uh, my body to uh, medical science, I'm leaving it to scrap metal. And it, will, uh, and it will do quite well out of me uh, when I go. You know, there are some places that just, uh, uh, where history just seems to repeat itself. For me, um, this year I'm really looking forward to going to West Point, the regional Bible weekend. Because the, the last two, God has spoken to me really powerfully uh, while I was there. And so I'm really anticipating and expecting God to speak to me there again. I just have an anticipation, expectation that God's going to speak to me and that God's going to speak to us as a church. 
You know, there are some places where you just know that something is going to happen. And as we finish our series from the book of Kings today, we come across one such place in the Bible. The location is the River Jordan. It's here we come across the last meeting between the prophet Elijah and his successor, Elisha. The change long anticipated is about to happen. Elisha, whose name means God saves, is about to enter into his new role as the prophet and deliverer of a nation. The setting alongside the banks of the River Jordan is pregnant with meaning. It's here that Joshua, some hundreds of years earlier, had stood with the children of Israel uh, just as they had they'd left captivity in Egypt. God had delivered them out of Egypt and they come to the uh, promised uh, land, the land of Canaan, a land flowing with uh, milk and honey, and they come to the River Jordan. God could have taken them in straight through the south of the country without having to cross the river, but God led them round to uh, the east side and they stand on the east side of the River Jordan and it's there that Joshua stands and uh, eventually the rivers open and Joshua leads the people through on dry ground. Interestingly, Joshua's name has a similar meaning to Elisha's. Joshua's name means the Lord saves. Elisha's name means God saves. Uh, uh, Joshua's name means the Lord saves. You see, to enter in, they needed to cross the river. Many hundreds of years later, as you read through the Bible, you come to another man who stands on the banks of the Jordan. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the Greek form of the name Joshua. And so when Jesus' birth was announced to his father, uh, the angel said, you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. How interesting that is. All three of them with similar names. Jesus' name uh, is given to him because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is God's son sent from heaven to bring men and women out of slavery, out of bondage, uh, from what the Bible calls sin, into the promised land of relationship with God. God is Jesus' Father. And Jesus enters into the Jordan River to be baptised by John the Baptist. And it was a sign of all that he would accomplish three years later on a wooden cross on a hill just outside Jerusalem. As he's baptised, the waters don't open, but instead the heavens open and God speaks, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The River Jordan is a foreshadow of the cross. And it's this place that we find Elisha. And as you read the narrative, you can almost feel the tension. Something dramatic is about to happen. This is the place where dreams become reality. You know, Elisha was a man who had a dream. He would have said, I have a dream. Some of you will remember uh, Martin Luther King on the 28th of August 1963 stood at the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. and said this, part of a long speech, but it's a memorable speech, but this is one sentence. He said, I have a dream that my four children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the colour of their skin, but by the content of their character. 
Today, his dream has for a large part become a reality. Elisha was a man who lived with a dream. Ten or so years earlier, he'd been told that one day he would be uh, the prophet and uh, to and the deliverer of the nation of Israel. During the years serving as Elisha's apprenticeship, uh, Elijah's apprentice, he saw many things which fueled the dreams in his own heart about what he would do in the future. You know, we all have dreams, don't we? You know, when I was a, a little boy uh, gr- uh, growing up, I'd go to bed at night, I dreamed of playing for Leeds United. I dreamed, I used to dream every night, it was literally every night I would dream before I, as I was, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd remember it as well, I'd even be thinking about it before I went to bed and then I'd dream about it, playing for Leeds United in the cup final, last minute, what, it's nil-nil, the ball comes over and I'm at the far post to volley it in and Leeds win the cup and everybody's chanting my name. That was my dream. Sadly, Sadly, sometimes I still dream about things like that. You know, we all have dreams. Each one of you have dreams. Each one of you have dreams. I remember some years ago, um, Annette tells this story. This is allegedly true because I don't remember much about it. But in the middle of the night, um, apparently I jumped out of bed and jumped up onto the end of the bed waking Annette up and I'm sitting at the end of the bed on my haunches like that and then Annette, Annette sort of woken up, startled, woken up and she says, Steve, what's wrong? And I uh, apparently said, um, it's alright, I'm a fireman. <laughs> and then I got back into bed and went to sleep. Now I'm not sure whether that was, uh, that was my dream or Annette's dream that I was a fireman, but you know, I'll leave you to... What's your dream? Maybe you've lived with it for years, even though you now may feel that there's little chance of it realistically being fulfilled. Maybe your dream uh, involves a particular career. Maybe it's to fulfill some task like Bear Grylls who we had with us uh, a few weeks ago, whose dream it was to climb Everest. Maybe it's to go to university, get married, have children, buy your own house, visit a particular place. Sadly, some dreams are never fulfilled and they remain in the realm of fantasy. From the Bible we know that God doesn't promise anyone an easy life and that's what was coming through in the early part of the worship this morning. God doesn't promise us an easy life. And he certainly doesn't promise that all our dreams will be fulfilled. Yet, dreams which God plants in our hearts, he will fulfill. And Elisha's was one such dream. Maybe you have dreams that God has planted in your heart a long time ago. In 1986, God planted in my heart a dream that one day I would preach. It took many years before that dream became reality. Maybe for you it's being part of the worship team. Maybe it's having a leadership role. Maybe it's serving God in a particular area. Maybe it's going overseas to serve God. And you know that God has uh, put that dream in your heart. 
You need to wait for your dream to be fulfilled because at the right time it will be. It says this in Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 3. The revelation waits an appointed time. The dream that you're waiting to be fulfilled awaits an appointed time. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. God promises to fulfill the dreams that he has put in your heart. Not your own dreams, but the dreams he has given you. If God has placed dreams in your heart, then God will fulfill your God-given dreams. God will fulfill those dreams. You see, Elijah's <clears throat> about to depart. He's about to disappear from the scene. And he's prompted by God to ask Elisha a question. Tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? Have you ever been asked an awkward question? I remember going for an interview uh, in my early 20s and I went up to uh, be interviewed uh, for a job in a firm of planning consultants in London and I'd uh, sent them my CV and out of the blue they rang me up and said, will I come for an interview? So I went for uh, the interview and I remember sitting down uh, with a guy who's a senior partner with a company, a guy called Alan, uh, well known in planning circles and I remember sitting in front of him being quite nervous, and he said to me, he said, the reason, he said, I have lots of people send me CVs, but your CV, he said, is one that stood out, he said, for one reason, he said, and that's why I've asked you to come for an interview, he said, it's because uh, of your dissertation, he said, and the title of your dissertation, which was uh, uh, The Retailing Revolution and the, work, uh, and the Shopping Habits of Married Working Women, I mean... That was the title of the dissertation. Now, at that moment, I knew I was in trouble. It was such an awkward question. Because the problem was, all my dissertation was, was a title. I actually hadn't actually done a great deal of work on it at that moment in time. And um, so he said, I just want to talk to you about your dissertation, nothing else. And then he asked me, went in to ask me a series of, for about 15 minutes, really awkward questions, to which I was going, oh, um, no, no, I've not read that article. And, no, uh, no, no, oh, no, 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 I've not read that one either. And uh, it was miserable, until in the end he clicked that I clearly didn't know anything about the subject, and then he talked to me about his hol cycling holidays for half an hour, and then uh, gave me some money to get a train fare home, and that was it, that was the end of it, never heard from them again. You know, when you get asked an awkward question, a difficult question, it's, uh, it's sometimes knowing what to respond is... It's hard. And Elijah's, Elijah's question to Elisha was, uh, was awkward, it was unusual. And at, at one level it seems he was writing an open cheque uh, and inviting Elisha to fill in the amount. And it's interesting that Jesus often did the same thing when uh, uh, he was with people. He would ask blind people, what do you want me to do for you? See that in Matthew chapter 20 verse 32. I mean, surely it's obvious they're blind. They want to receive their sight. Why, why ask a question, what do you want me to do for you? Well, you see, the purpose of the question was to get below the surface. You see, being blind in Jesus' day uh, resulted in someone being a beggar, sitting on, sitting on, and they begged for a living. That was their livelihood. That's how the, uh, they uh, uh, looked after themselves and if they had families. And so uh, it was a means of income. And so for some people, their blindness... Uh, had 
uh, was perhaps more important to them than having their sight. So Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And so he was looking to see what was really in their hearts and he was looking for a step of faith. And uh, Elisha is being asked a question and God is trying to get under the surface of Elisha's heart and he's trying to find what's in his heart. You see, in the Bible, God tests us. God's interested in what's in our heart. And believers, we experience times of testing. That's what you read in James chapter 1. You see, as you read James chapter 1, there are the word that's used there, the Greek word, it, it can mean either testing or temptation. And uh, sometimes it's quite difficult to know what's going on. And so as you read James chapter 1, you can see that there are times, there are times where we are tempted to do the wrong thing, to do things that we know we shouldn't do. And those are times when the devil comes to us and he is tempting us to disobey God. And it's clear at times like that that we need to resist the devil and he will flee from us. And on the other hand, it is clear from the Bible there are times when it's God who is testing us. God is testing us to see what's in our heart, to see what's really going on under the surface. Indeed, Jesus himself, it says of Jesus, in Isaiah chapter 28 verse 16, this, it says this really interesting little phrase, it says, he was a tested stone. Jesus himself was a tested stone. He was tested, we read, in uh, Matthew chapter 4, when he went into the wilderness. Uh, he was tested. The devil tempted him to do wrong, but also God was testing him to see if he was obedient. Jesus uh, was totally and completely obedient to God. Jesus never sinned. He was a tested stone that passed the test. But God is interested in what's in our heart. And yet God never tempts us to do wrong. That's what James tells us in uh, chapter 1, verse 13 to 15. He does test our hearts, but he never tempts us to do wrong. So it's always the context of what's going on that determines what's happening. And so God tests, the devil tempts us. That's really helpful. That's a little digression, but sometimes we need to understand what's going on. But in this situation, Elisha is being tested. And Elisha's response to Elijah's question is, if nothing but bold. He says, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Now, I don't know what you feel like when you hear that phrase, but for me, it's a bit like a, that. It's, a, it's like an Oliver Twist type moment. And you see Oliver Twist going up and, going up and asking the beadle, he says, can I have some more? And you're thinking, oh no, why did he do that? Oh, you know what's coming. It's that painful moment where, oh, he's in trouble now. He should never have asked for some more. And it's a, it's a bit like that, a double portion. How rude. I mean, Elijah has done all this for God and you want twice as much? Ooh, that's a bit, that's, he could have been a bit more humble perhaps. When you read something like that, it was a bold, it was a courageous, it was an outrageous request. And yet, in this, Elisha wasn't lacking humility. In fact, nothing could have been further from the truth. The idea of a double portion was actually rooted in Hebrew culture. 
In Hebrew inheritance law, it stated that the firstborn son received a double portion. And uh, the verse uh, from Deuteronomy 21 verse 17 will come up behind me. And that tells us that a father must acknowledge that the son of his unloved wife as the firstborn by giving him a double share of all he has. That son is the first sign of his strength. The right of the firstborn belongs to him. Elisha was Elijah's successor and therefore he could rightly ask for a double portion. Elisha was not being greedy. The key was knowing who he was. And one of the keys for us as as Christians, as believers, is knowing who we are in Christ. Is knowing our inheritance. We uh, run a course, something called the Freedom in Christ course, and David and uh, uh, Billy are, are running that at the moment. And that's a, that's a course that helps us understand who we are in Christ, because sometimes we forget, sometimes we forget that we are God's sons. Let me read you a couple of scriptures to remind you of who you are in Christ. In Galatians 3 it says this, verses 26 and verse 29 say this, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We are heirs of God. I don't know if you've ever been uh, found out you're an heir unexpectedly. Many years ago, uh, I, I got a phone call, uh, in fact, when I actually it was a letter first, out of the blue, from a solicitor uh, in uh, Pontypool, and the solicitor said to me, um, uh, uh, Mr. Chick, um, you are uh, about to inherit part of an estate. And it's actually my auntie Ethel, my dad's sister, uh, my dad's, in fact, it was my dad's auntie, so it's my second auntie. My Auntie Ethel. My Auntie Ethel, really uh, nice person. Um, she used to have a, a, a budgie called Peter. And uh, when they were talking, you could never tell uh, which was which because she used to talk, the budgie used to talk like her, she used to talk like, like, like the budgie. But when my Auntie Ethel died, I inherited some of her estate, totally out of the blue. It wasn't a large sum of money, but I suddenly found I, had, I inherited something. Something I didn't deserve, something I hadn't earned, but suddenly I'd inherited something. And that is what has happened to us in Christ. We didn't deserve anything. We haven't earned anything. We are saved because we put our trust in Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross to save us. And as we put our trust in Jesus, suddenly we are become inheritors of God. We are become part of God's family. And suddenly we have an inheritance. Hallelujah. This is what Ephesians chapter 1 verses 18 19, it tells us that we have a rich and glorious inheritance in Christ. Peter tells us that it can never perish, spoil or fade. Hallelujah. He also tells us in 2 Peter 1 verse 4 that God has given us his very great and precious promises. The Bible is full of promises to us who believe in Jesus to save them. They're not promises just for the next life or eternity, but they're for this life as well. He promises us forgiveness. He promises us freedom from guilt and condemnation. Jesus died on the cross that we, the slate, might be wiped clean for us. We might be totally forgiven. God has forgiven us completely. If you put your trust in Jesus, whatever you did in the past is forgiven. Hallelujah! The slate is wiped clean. 
Hallelujah. Jesus promises to be with us whatever the circumstances. If you're going through a tough time, Jesus promises to be with you. He promises to be with you to the very end of the age. Whatever is going on. What a great promise that is. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, Paul tells the Corinthians, he says this, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And through him, the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. The promises of God are yes to us in Christ. And, and our response is to be Amen. Amen means so be it. Let it come to pass. Let that promise come to pass in my life, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. And so we need to be people who know that we are us, who we are in Christ. We need to be secure in our identity. We need to know that we're sons and daughters of God. We need to know that uh, in our own strength we'll struggle and fall. But in Christ we will stand secure. Hallelujah. What God has promised, he will surely do. And that's why our prayer times are so important. That's why we're gathering to, we, we want to gather together as a church. That's why our Wednesday night, midweek, once a month prayer meetings are so important. Because we're coming to God and we're petitioning Him for His promises to be fulfilled in the church. Hallelujah. And I want to encourage you, make every effort, continue to want to be there because our prayer times are the, are, are the times where we are, are, are literally trying to plug into God and draw uh, from him that he would come and move amongst us in power. We need to know our inheritance. The second thing is uh, that we also need to check our heart. I mean, Elisha could seemingly have asked for anything. He knew that when Elijah said something, it invariably happened. But Elisha didn't ask for wealth. He didn't ask for fame. He didn't ask for personal opportunities, for position, for money for avoidance from trouble, but rather he asked for a double portion of the spirit that was on Elijah. Elisha, you see, understood what was really important. And his, his heart was proved pure in this. What we ask for in prayer reveals what's in our hearts. You know, sometimes we can be asking for position, for ministry opportunities, for large churches, for material success, and sometimes that's okay. But the question is, what's really going on in our hearts? You know, Jesus tells a parable of two sons, and uh, it's in Luke chapter 15. And in that parable, the younger son says to his father, he says, Father, give me my share of the estate. And the father does that. He gives the two sons their share of this. He gives the younger son his share and he presumably gives the older son his double portion. And uh, the, the, the Luke 15 says, says, not long after that, the younger son got all together all he had and he went off into a far country and he squandered his inheritance in what? In wild living. And he ends up in an absolute mess. There's a famine. Everything that he has is gone. He's spent out and he's in the pigsty eating food given to the pigs because he's so hungry. And in the meantime, the older son continues to work in the fields. He has a double portion, remember, and yet he works in the fields like a slave and he never enjoys the inheritance that the father had given him. 
You see, Jesus in this parable is warning us of the danger of lostness. We can squander our inheritance or we can live as if we have no inheritance. Maybe you're like one of those two sons this morning. Maybe you've squandered your inheritance as a son of God. Maybe you're far from God doing things that you know you shouldn't be doing. Maybe you're into pornography. You are hooked in to looking at stuff on the internet you know you shouldn't look at. No one else knows about it. Maybe it's sexual sins. Maybe it's, uh, uh, it's about money and the desire for money and it, it controls you under the surface. It consumes you. You're constantly thinking about what you're going to buy next. could be anything. But maybe you're like the older of the two sons, living at home as a son, but actually you're just like a servant. You're not really a son at all. I remember my, reading my dad's diary in the late 50s. My dad had uh, got saved in the Billy Graham Crusades. And uh, I remember reading his diaries after the event. And it, life seemed so hard. Every day it says, oh, I struggled to pray this morning. I don't know that God loves me. And as you read day after day after day, that's what each page said. You know, he had an inheritance, but he lived like a slave. Is that you? Are you living like a slave? You need to examine your heart. Thirdly, like Elisha, if we're going to inherit God's promises, we need to realise our need of the Spirit. You see, Elisha had great dreams of what God was calling him to do. But he knew he needed one thing. He needed God's Spirit on him. If your God-given dreams are to become reality then you need to be filled with the Spirit. You need to be filled with God's Spirit. That's what my dad needed all those years ago. He needed to be filled with the Spirit. That's why he was living like a slave when he was really a son. He needed the Spirit. He knew nothing of it at all. God's Spirit comes to those who boldly ask and go on asking for it. We need to be those who are people of the Spirit, who want to be filled by the Spirit every day because we need God's Spirit on us to help us. We're to be a people of the Spirit. We're to live by the Spirit. We're to walk by the Spirit. In Galatians 4, Paul reminds us that Jesus died to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls our Abba Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has also made you an heir. An heir. Do you need to come and be filled with the Spirit this morning? It's your inheritance. The promise is for you, your children and those who are far off. Elisha had a God-given dream which only God could, could fulfill. Finally, Elisha had to do one thing. Elisha had to step across the line. In 49 BC, Caesar, who was uh, in, uh, the ruler of Gaul, uh, the, that part of the uh, Roman Empire, he was uh, in dispute with Pompey, who was ruling the Senate in Rome. And Caesar stood at a, 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 his troops were at 
a place, a little river in northern Italy called the Rubicon. And uh, uh, Italian, Roman law at the time said that no uh, armed forces, Roman armed forces could come in, uh, if they came in armed, fully armed, that it was an act of treason. And uh, Caesar at that moment knew that if he led his army across the Rubicon, across that river, that little, that little stream, if he led them across the Rubicon, there was no going back and it was war. And that was the turning, a turning point in the Roman Empire as Caesar led his troops through uh, and uh, it was the start of uh, what became a glorious period in, uh, in the Roman Empire. And uh, they did uh, many things, many good things, many terrible things as well. But that was the start. It was the moment when Caesar stood at the Rubicon and he crossed it. It was a key moment. He stepped across the line. You know, as I read this passage, I wonder why on earth did Elijah take Elisha across the Jordan? Immediately they cross over, Elijah suddenly disappears. He's taken away by God. And Elisha has to cross back over. It all seems a bit pointless, doesn't it? Yet as we read prophetic narrative, that's historical accounts where God is clearly at work and breaking in and working out his purposes, we must understand that there is nothing that's there for no purpose. Every reference is pregnant with meaning. In the history of the people of Israel, the Jordan River was a dividing line. For Joshua, the other side of the Jordan held huge challenges. He knew that there were heavily walled cities to be taken, battles to be fought. The promised land wouldn't be taken without cost. And equally, Elisha stands on the east side of the Jordan and he knew that to cross through the Jordan meant huge personal challenges. It was going to be scary. Elijah wasn't going to be with him anymore. Elisha was going to be on his own. He was going to have to trust God totally and completely. God was going to need to come through for Elisha. He needed, it was time for him to step out of the shadows and into the light of all that God had for him as a person. I want to suggest that this is a key principle we need to grasp especially pertinent to us, uh, was a time of transition for us as a church. Elijah's day had been great. His prophetic leadership and voice to the nation had been bold and unequivocal. But Elijah was stepping out of the scene. It was a new day. Like him, like Elijah, we can't live on the past. What God did in Greg's day and in John's time leading the church was wonderful. But the Jordan lies before us. We need to honour the past, but embrace the future. On the other side is the unknown, it's uncharted territory for us. We have a whole adventure in God ahead of us. And as a church, I believe it speaks to us about us being more people-focused. You know, um, a few people have commented that as a church we're really welcoming, but there's an area that we need to grow in, in the whole area of community. You know, we need to be a people of community who love one another deeply. We do, but we need to express that in the way that we live together. You know, when we go to West Point, it's not that we all sit in our little tents by ourselves. It's we're the community of God from Winchester 
who are there to worship God together and be part of a family. And I want to encourage you. I, don't to ex- I just want to encourage you. Come and be part of what's going on when we go to West Point in August. If you haven't booked in, book in. It will be a great time. For most of us, crossing the Jordan means doing something radically different in order to make relationships with neighbours and work colleagues. Not because they're a project, but because they're a people that God loves. God loves people. A few, uh, uh, well, on election night, Annette and I invited all our neighbours round. And uh, we had an open house. We had 16 of our neighbours come in. We're just starting to get to know them. Why are we starting to get to know them? Because they're a project? No, because God loves people and we want to express God's love for those people. And if God opens up doors for us to share the gospel, then that's great. But if he doesn't, that's also great. We're going to keep on loving them because they're our neighbours. That's where God's put us. God wants us to be those who cross the Jordan. It was an awkward night because... Uh, we didn't know whether anyone was, would turn up. And for the first hour, nobody came. And we're sitting there. Megan went out and she said, you look, you look, I felt really sorry for you. You look really sad. Sitting there, no one there. No one's turned up. And then suddenly everybody came. Crossing the Jordan's a scary thing. Stepping out in faith. God wants us to be a people like that. For others, it means giving up things. Jim and uh, Jim Cascarini is just coming uh, if you haven't heard, you weren't at the prayer meeting on Wednesday. Jim's uh, just coming to work for the church and is going to be our children and oversee our children and youth work. For Jim, it's, main, it's me. For Jim and Kate, it means Jim giving up his job as a deputy head of a school. I mean, it's a scary thing to do. He is stepping across the Jordan. For some of you, it's about moving. We heard this morning about David and Melody moving because God's spoken to them stepping across. For some of you, maybe you're here, you're just a visitor today, but God, you know God started to speak to you. Maybe that this is the church for you to put down your roots. And it means moving and becoming and joining, joining us here in what God's doing amongst us. For some, it's about making a significant change in being able to give yourself to God's purposes. I remember years ago working as a planning consultant, starting to work all the hours under the sun. And knowing that I was, I wanted to serve God, and in the end I had to, had to gave my job up. Great career prospects, uh, great prospects of financial security, and I gave it up and I went and worked for Gospel Borough Council. Because I wanted to give my time to serving God. I didn't want to be so tired, I had nothing to give. And so I did that and I gave myself to the church and to my family. And God, maybe God's saying to you, it's time you need to give some things up. You need to step across the Jordan. See, the Jordan lies ahead of us. Will we cross or turn back? Maybe you're in church for the first time this morning and you've given little thought to the claims of Jesus. Maybe you've been coming along for a while, but you've never personally put your trust in what Jesus did on the cross for you. It's setting you free from all the things that keep you out of a relationship With God. Paul in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says this For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus knew the richness of relationship with his Father in heaven. 
He knew intimacy, complete and perfect intimacy with his Father, with the Spirit, through all eternity. And Jesus was willing to lay that aside. He who was rich was willing to lay that aside and become poor. He came to this earth. He hung on a cross, totally separated from what cried out for the first time, the only time in all eternity. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And at that moment, he was receiving the punishment for all our wrongdoings. God punished his son that we who were poor, we who were separated without relationship with God, we who were far from God, had nothing at all, nothing to make us attractive to God at all. We who were poor might become rich through what Jesus did. God has made us rich through what his son did. Jesus did it. Jesus did it. You can know that this morning. When you take a step of faith, when you take that step across the Jordan, you will find a Father in heaven running towards you to embrace you because he loves you. Maybe you've been a Christian for many years. Maybe you feel you've reached a Jordan-like moment in your walk with God. You sense God is calling you into new territory, to a deeper walk with him. But you know it's going to be costly. I say to you this morning, take a step across the Jordan. You will, uh, it may be uncharted territory, it may be scary, but you will find God will be with you. He will provide all you need. Be bold and courageous. To draw to a close, Elisha asked for a double blessing. Most commentators agree that he got what he asked for. It's believed his ministry was for twice as long and he did twice the number of miracles that Elijah had done. God has said much to us as a church about coming into a double blessing, a season of blessing. What has happened today has been great, but I believe God wants us to cross the Jordan into all that he has for us. These are days for us to be crying out that we, he would do more amongst us than we have ever seen before. We want to see people being healed. We want to see people being saved. We want to see these seats, empty seats, being filled up with people finding Jesus Christ for the first time and finding out how wonderful and how amazing he really is. Jesus Christ is wonderful. It's true, isn't it? He's wonderful. And it's not that we would look great, it's that he would look great. The president of Coca-Cola. You're wondering what I'm going to say now, aren't you? The president of Coca-Cola between 1922 and 1955 had a dream that no one on the face of the earth should die without having tasted Coca-Cola. That was his dream. How many people here haven't tasted Coca-Cola? One, two... What a dream, fulfilled in a generation. What's your dream? What's our dream in God? Our dream is that God would come and move in this city, this region. That God would break through and save people. That we would be a church that reaches out and sees the kingdom of God come in signs and wonders. That we become increasingly effective and fruitful for God. That's our dream. And our dream is based on great and precious promises in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. We don't have to rely on marketing. 
We don't have to rely on advertising space. We rely on the Spirit of God that dwells within us. We need to be people of the Spirit in these days. Let's stand together.